No, it is good to be with you today as we finish our series, Summer Love. Let me start with sharing a story with you. A few years ago, my family and I were up in D.C. doing kind of the tourist thing, going to museums and checking things out. And it's around dinner time. Uh, we, were, we were looking for a restaurant to go back to, and we made our way back towards Chinatown. If you know D.C., kind of back towards Chinatown. There's a restaurant we absolutely love in Chinatown, and this is going to be kind of interesting, but it's a, it's a funky Mexican food restaurant. And and I know you're thinking Chinatown, Mexican food, those don't really go together, but this place is just a really cool place. And what drew us in years ago is they're always right in the window making fresh guacamole all the time. And so we started going there to where every time we go to DC, that's what Hannah, my oldest, she loves. Dad, can we go to that restaurant? Can we go to that restaurant? So this day we made our way back to Chinatown. We go to the restaurant. This night it is packed. So we turned our name in, thinking it's gonna be a long wait. And they said, oh no, we'll seat you right now. And on the outside of the restaurant, they had these bank of tables underneath the canopy of trees. So we're out there enjoying this meal together in DC. And as we're eating, if you've been to DC, you know this, there is this pack of teenage kids coming down the street. And it's kind of an obnoxious group. They're yelling, they're screaming, they're cussing. They're even pushing each other into the tables of the outside restaurant sitting area. And we're kind of watching this scene play out and they're like moving in slow motion down the street. And you know, you kind of put up with it. And right when they're almost out of range, this stick comes flying out of the air and hits my wife right in the head. Now at this point, I like push back from the table. I stand up, listen, you can be obnoxious and scream and act like a fool, but you're gonna, you're gonna hit my wife? Oh, it's on, right? And I push away and I'm going out of the table area to make my way to go down the street towards this pack of group. And about that time, my kids are going, no, dad, don't. And then the waitress said, sir, that stick fell out of the tree. I just watched it drop. <laughs> it wasn't thrown. Kind of embarrassed because of my reaction to fight, I just sat back down and started eating guacamole, right? <laughs> Come on, man, isn't it like in us? Isn't it just in us that if something threatens our kids' safety or something threatens our wives, look, we'll, we'll, we're ready to fight on a moment's notice, or am I the only one, right? We're ready to fight, it's all right. And so I thought about that as I start today's message, that we're always ready to fight to protect our family but are we willing to fight to love our family? Are we willing to fight for the things that God says we ought to be fighting for? And so today, as we kind of end this idea of summer love, I wanna take us to this last place in this series because if we're gonna talk about how to protect love, then we gotta also talk about how to protect purity. Matter of fact, write this down on your note sheet there. We protect love by protecting purity. Maybe you didn't know those two go together, but they really do. This idea of love and purity. And you might be a husband ready to fight to protect physical harm coming your family's way, but are you ready to stand up and fight for spiritual protection? Are you going to fight for love? Are you going to fight for purity? That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we finish this, this series. Now, in this idea of purity, let me give you two distinctions of this love and purity. There's an inward purity and there's an outward purity. I think you need to catch this. The inward part of purity is this. It's what's going on on the inside. It's what do I think? What do I feel? That's important. You see, a lot of what we do rattles around within us. That's inward purity. But inward purity is not the only part. There's the outward purity part and that's the what happens on the outside. That's our behavior. That's what we choose to do. That's what we choose to not do, right? And a lot of times that's what we get measured by is our outward behavior. So this idea, this theme of protecting love comes back to protecting purity. Now I've titled today's message, Disappointing Destinations. And I want you on both campuses right now to turn to your neighbor and tell them what the title of this message is. Come on, what is it? It's what? Yes. Welcome to Mount Ararat today. I'm glad that you're here today. This is a PG-13 message, but if your kid is under 13, I don't think it's bad, because you know what? You're mom and dad. I'm gonna begin something that you're gonna have to finish this afternoon. 
that's not necessarily bad either because discipleship really is yours. But in this idea of a message like this, disappointing destination, let me begin it like this. Have you ever been online and you see a hotel pop up or a vacation destination, you're looking at that pictures and you're going, oh, this is amazing. I can't believe it's only this price. And so you're lured in, you, you take the discount, you hit click, and then you show up and what you thought was too good to be true, when you get there in living color, you realize this really was too good to be true, right? Because it sure didn't look the same in real life as it did on the online. And, and you realize you were promised something that maybe didn't deliver. Come on, are you with me yet? Am I preaching yet? And so in this idea of disappointing destination, if you're gonna talk about love in our modern day world, you need to know that when we take the easier way, the cheaper way, the shortcut way, you don't always end up where you wanted to end up. So when you talk about love, our world talks about love a lot, but I'm not so sure they're really talking about the love that God's talking about. A lot of times the love that we hear about in our world is a counterfeit love, and let's just give it a real title, lust. Is it love or is it lust? Because sometimes I'm not sure we can distinguish between the two. Yet both of those lead in very, very different directions. Now, let me tell you this, and you know this already about yourself. We've all been hardwired and been made to want to be loved and to love. That's how you've been made. That's how I've been made, to love and to be loved, to love and be loved. Come on, you know this, to love and be loved is how God made us. Why? Because we've been made in his image. We've been made in the image of God to love and to be loved. Yet our world promises us a lot about love but I'm not sure it's really based on that because with this want to love and be loved comes a fear. And sometimes it's in that fear that we make some very bad decisions. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's when we're fear that we're afraid we're not gonna be loved and be loved. So what do we do? We use someone to get what we need to get because we're afraid it's not gonna happen. Or sometimes we might even sabotage a good relationship because we got to at least maybe do something that would make them reject us before we reject them or however that works. And sometimes I've seen people ruin a marriage and you think, why would you do that? That's not really what you wanted as a destination. And sometimes it's because we don't know the difference between love and lust. Now this morning, I'm going to read from about three different passages and the first one I'm going to read with you is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And as I read this, I want you to see the destination of where lust leads because lust leads to sexual immorality. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Come on. Come on, black coffee, right? No cream and sugar today, pastor. Give it to us straight. That's what I'm doing. But sometimes when you give it this way, I know how disarming or how you know, defensive you can get. But here's what I want you to know. If there's something here that shines, will you let it shine? Now, listen to what God's word wants to say to us. And I love this, that it's so, it's so incredibly clear. That God doesn't even make this. I tried to say it the last hour, I can't say it. Make this clear, how to make it so clear. God just says it clear and straight. It's not mysterious. It's, it's this, it's, here's what he says. He says this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, there's that word, like the pagans do, the pagans, those who do not know God. God's will is that you and I should avoid sexual immorality, that you and I shouldn't fall to what? To lust. And sometimes this is the tension because lust and love all start in the same place. They start with how we're designed. But isn't it just like the enemy to take the good things that God does and he twists it and turns it and distorts it just enough to get it so off course that it's never gonna end up in the right place. And so that's what he does here. Lust starts 
with how a man is made and how a woman is made. Now, I, I know y'all already know this, but let me just go ahead and say it together. You might, you might be encouraged again to hear it. A man has been made to be physical. Come on, we know this. A man has been made to be physical. A man also has been made to be a sexual initiator. And along with that, a man is visually stimulated. Y'all know this, right? This is how men are made. This is how men are wired. But do you know that, that God made a man to be a man and he made a woman to be a woman and a woman has been made to be emotional. A woman has been made to be a, a sexual responder. A, a woman has been stimulated by touch. And in this idea of how God made us, that's the design of it, but the enemy changes it just enough to get it to serve ourselves and he confuses us to see the difference between lust and love. Now, let me show you a slide here that I think could be helpful today. Let me show you this difference here. Already, I've already said these things out loud, but I want you to take a picture of it or see it and know it because I think sometimes we don't realize how subtle this is in our own lives and in our own relationships, whether we're living a lust relationship or a love relationship. But the, the lust says that always promises a shortcut, but look at love. Love, what? It takes what? It takes time. Come on, love, can you get there faster, right? We want it to hurry up, but love takes time. Where lust is always promising the shortcut, but doesn't lust always overpromise and underdeliver? Look at the second part of this. Lust focuses on who? Come on, talk back to me, church. Focuses on you, focuses on me. It makes it all about what I want, what I need, what I'm gonna get right now. But love focuses on the other. See, it serves, it sacrifices, it pursues. This idea of love, lust is all about taking and love is all about giving. And lust is focusing on the body, the physical, where love says, oh no, it's, it's bigger than that. It's wider than that. It's, it's the mind, the body, and the soul. You see, our world doesn't like to talk like this. They would rather just promise the shortcut and say, everybody's doing it, go this path, believe these things. And if you don't think I'm pushing there, then, then let me challenge you to do this. As soon as we're done with church, go out there, start your car, listen to the radio station and hear the music that comes out of your radio and say, do these songs really talk about love or lust, love or lust, love or lust? Then today when you're watching TV and you watch what the, the TV's normalizing or the movie's normalizing and making so normal, this is the way things are, is it really the way things are or is it really the path that we've been kind of invited down? You see, sometimes we don't realize the subtlety of living differently here and, and then we begin to live out relationships that are based on us versus based on what God wants. Come on, it's getting quiet in here today, isn't it? Woo, pastor, pastor, I thought this was summer love, man. This is like a nightmare today, right? But what if God's trying to reveal something to show us something about ourselves? Let me tell you what lust looks like in men again, come on. Lust is all about a man getting physical pleasure and feeling good. Lust for a man, he wants to detach a woman's body from her soul. Lust leads a man to use someone for the sake of pleasure. It's not about cherish. It's not about loving. No, it's a self-centered pursuit. He wants what he wants. And, and sometimes we don't even realize this, but I'll say it this way. It's lust is saying, I want pleasure without the hard work of intimacy. Hello. I just want to get what I need to get out of this, but I don't want to have to really work at really getting to know that other person because that takes time, right? And sometimes a man doesn't even need anybody to begin to have sexual outcome, right? And we know this when it's self-serving, it's about lust. Lust in a woman sometimes looks a little different, but it's the same outcome. Lust leads a woman to want to control it leads a woman to want to manipulate maybe someone else with their sexual appetite. And a woman wants to believe, just like a man, that she can use her body and whatever she does with her body is just about her body. And she wants to believe that whatever she does sexually is not gonna really last that long in her life. It's really gonna be okay. 
You see, that's what lust is selling to a man and to a woman. But I'm here to tell you that's not the truth of how you and I have been made. And the Bible gives us some truth about this. And it's not because God hates us. It's actually because he's for us and he loves us. And he wants to show us that there's another way to live. Come on, are you with me this morning? I'm going to read another passage. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 6. It's another big one that really leans in on this subject that we're talking about today. And, and I really wrestled with how much of this, this chapter should I read because there's like all these verses. Maybe I just read this verse, this verse. And then I just got convicted and God said, you know what? They need to hear all this passage. And you know what I, I thought about today? Because here's the enemy's already at work here and over at Courthouse and even online right now. It's here's the battle that's happening right now as we start to hear the truth of God, the love of God, the grace of God. We start to fight against it. And here's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants somebody here today to start feeling beat up, to feel guilty, and to feel shame. And, and that's what the enemy wants you to feel because he wants you to what? To be stuck in it and to think there's no way from this. But you know what I tell you this? God wants more than guilt and shame for you today. He wants something greater for you today, but it might come through the path of conviction this morning. Conviction is God's way of saying, you're on the wrong path, I gotta get you back on the right path again. And so don't walk out of here feeling guilt and condemnation today because that's not from God, that's from our enemy. God wants to give you conviction that there might be something that he needs to break your heart about so that you'll get right with him. And I thought, what if I read this passage today and there's somebody here that's broken there's somebody here that's relationally broken and going through a struggle and trying to, to exercise their sexual identity out apart from God and his word. And it's leading them to a disappointing destination. And by simply hearing the word of God today, God could begin to resurrect them back to life again. So can I read a long passage of scripture today to y'all? Come on, can I? Yeah, like I really need your permission, right? But I'm asking because I'm wanting you to participate with me here. This is an active message where you're playing a part. And I believe right now God is, he's talking right now, isn't he? Here's what he says in his word. Listen to this, starting in verse 12. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach, stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. But the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Come on, he's talking to Christians here. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute, someone who's not my spouse? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said that the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee. Come on, run, run, Forrest, run from sexual immorality. In all other sins a person commits are outside their body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Come on, can you receive the word of God today? Can you let God love you today? Can you let God convict you today? Can you let God comfort you today in what he wants to say to you and me? Listen, lust, lust wants to tell you you gotta take sex and separate your body from your soul, but I'm here to tell you, you can't. You can't. If you have sex with your body, you also have sex with your soul. There's no separation of the two. That's what Bible says, that's how we've been made. It's why protecting love through purity is so important. It's because God wants the best for you and for me. God wants the best for you and me. And lust will always tell us that we're missing out. 
Lust will always tell us that we're missing out. We're missing out if we don't do it this way. And I'm here to tell you, lust will also say that God is against sex. And I'm going to stand on the word of God right now and boldly as I can and say, God is not against sex. That simply isn't true. Matter of fact, God made sex. He made sex and then he gave sex to every husband and wife as they step into a covenant of marriage. Come on, that's good. I don't know what you put on your registry when you got married. Come on, I don't know. I don't know if you got all those place settings or a comforter or even a bread machine, but what God gave the husband and wife is so much better than a bread machine. Are you with me? Come on. He gave the ability for a man and a woman to come together, not just body to body, but soul to soul again and again and again within their marriage and in their life. Is that not powerful? Let's don't look at this from a negative view. Let's look at it from a hopeful view. God is not against it. He's for it, but he gives it a boundary. He gives it a boundary of marriage. Hebrews chapter 13, verse four says, marriage should be honored by who? Let me say it again, both campuses. Marriage should be honored by all. Right now today, how many people are here today? You're married. Come on, raise your hand. How many people are married today? Right, 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 right. Put your hand down. How many here today are single, are single, are single? How many here today don't know, right? <laughs> Marriage is to be honored by all of us. Single adults, all of us. Married adults, all of us. Confused adults, all of us. It says this. It says, the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral. This is serious to God because it's serious for us. And I'm here to tell you, all of us have to honor the marriage bed. But see, this is the problem in our, in our modern day culture. We're, we're all trying to do this thing the world's way. We're letting the world tell us how to do this thing, right? We're letting the path of lust tell us how to do this thing. And you know what I realized? I'm doing a lot of weddings as a pastor through the years and I do about eight to 10 weddings a year. And in weddings, I'm realizing that people are waiting longer till they get married. And actually, statistically, that's showing in America that people aren't getting married until about the age of 27. That's like the average age. It used to be like 21, 22. Now it's up to like 27. And you know, there could be a good part of that, that you let a man or a woman kind of get a little older, a little more mature, and a little bit more committed to come into a covenant to be able to step in. And that would be good if that was all the story. But what's happening is that people are waiting longer, but while they wait, you know what they're doing? They're actually practicing divorce. That's what's happening in our culture today. And what do I mean by practicing divorce? Well, they'll begin this relationship and this relationship and this relationship until they get to that age of finally marrying the one, right? And along the way, they're practicing divorce because they've been doing married things with people they're not married to all along the way. They're, they're doing married things, they're playing house, they're acting like we're married, but then when a conflict comes, which by the way, any human relationship, you're gonna have conflict, what happens is, well, we're not married, so let's just what? Let's just cut our losses, walk away, no harm, no foul, and I'll go try this again with somebody else. And stats will say that people are doing that multiple times with multiple people that by the time they finally do say I do, and when that marriage has conflict, they've already created a pattern of how you handle conflict, you just end it and start again. And we're surprised, and we're surprised, right? I often say, you know, we, we don't have a plan. We never plan to end up here. We never planned this to be our destination, but do you have a plan to not end up there? That's what we're talking about this morning. Do you have a plan to not end up and let that be your disappointing disappointment and destination? It's this idea of how do we move forward in a way, the way that God wants us to move forward. Well, there's another enemy to marriage and it's adultery. And this is interesting too. As I was studying this and reading some of the research, you might find it interesting that they just researched Americans and asked the question, do you see adultery as wrong? And you know, when they did that poll, could you even guess what that outcome might be? 
It's interesting. When they poll all Americans, they get about 90% of Americans that would say, yes, we believe adultery is wrong. Interesting. When you think about how many Christians we really have in America and that many people at least see it wrong. Listen, you have to be a Christian to go, oh yeah, adultery is wrong. That can't be right. Look at the effects. That can't, that's wrong, right? Do you know that that stat actually has improved in the last 10 years? That 10 years earlier, the stat was under 90%. That means there was a a population of people that said, well, depending on some situations, adultery might be okay for some. But yet 10 years later, they're now saying, oh no, we weren't right there. 90% say, no, adultery is wrong. Now, the other half of that stat that's interesting, in the last 10 years, our culture has shifted saying, oh yeah, adultery is wrong, yet there's been more adultery in the last 10 years than 10 years earlier. Ooh, how is that possible? Well, that means there's enough people that say we know what is right, and then there's more people that says, but I'm just not gonna do it. There's a gap between what I believe to be right and how I actually behave and live it out. There's a gap, there's a gap. And I wonder today who might be living in that gap right now, where maybe it's not just about sexual decisions, but it's about what I know to be true and right. Well, who was the source of that? And then am I willing to actually live in a way that honors that way of living? You see, when I think about that distance there, I'm thinking about how many people have hurt themselves, hurt relationships, hurt family, and even hurt their own body by some of the decisions they've made by trying to separate the body from the soul. And I know as I, as I preach this and teach this today, I've gotten, I can see body language and I can hear the pin drop because it gets real quiet when you talk this talk. But good news is we're gonna have communion here in a minute, right? So if you didn't get anything out of the service, it's coming, right? But before we get to this table of remembering, let's go there for a minute because somebody's sitting here today and going, Pastor, I love that you're passionate about this, but you know what? You're out of touch, you're out of date. These are old ancient scriptures. They're not real relevant in today's time. And somebody's sitting here today and going, Pastor, you're making a big deal and you're majoring over something that's just really not that major. Sex is not that big of a deal. And I hear you, I can hear you without you even audibly saying anything. And I'm just gonna lovingly tell you this today. You're wrong. You're wrong. Sex is a huge deal. It's a great deal. It's a big deal. God made it and God created it and then God gave it. And we make light of it as a culture and a people. And it's interesting the reality of where this has led us. Do you know that research, let's just get out of the Bible for some of you, and let's just go to research. Research has given us information that research has said that the best sex, and that's what we're all after, right? The best sex in this world is in stable relationships. And then it goes on to say the most stable relationships are monogamous man-woman coming together in marriage. Isn't that interesting? That's what data has told us. Matter of fact, two daughters, two two daughters, two doctors wrote a book after doing all this research and here was kind of their summation. They said it appears that the most up-to-date research suggests that most humans are designed to be sexually monogamous between one mate for life. Hello, McFly, isn't that good news? And then it goes on to say what? This information also shows that the further individuals deviate or live outside of this way, their behavior has created more problems and has created more problems for them to encounter like STDs, non-marital pregnancy, emotional problems, including damaged ability to develop healthy connectedness. Isn't that what we all want anyway? It, now their decision-making has damaged their ability to connect in a healthy way with others, including future spouses that the riskiest sexual situations by far are those that involve in an increasing number of sexual partners with no commitment. I'm blown away. That research tells us what the Bible told us all along, that you wanna do it God's way, here's what you do. 
You grow a relationship and you don't go down a sexual path if you haven't committed to a covenant marriage yet. Here's what it says to do. It says if you're really gonna be committed to this relationship, you wait and then you get married and then you share yourself body to body, soul to soul as husband and wife. And then if mistakes were made before, during or after, you give grace and forgiveness and you get back on track and you go back to doing it God's way. That that is the best way to live. Isn't that interesting? Matter of fact, let me share this statement with you. Sex, sexual relationships takes two things, two ingredients, this is what the Bible shows us. The first one, it shows us it needs a spiritual covenant, a spiritual covenant. And the second thing it needs is emotional commitment. See if you can find that slide for us. A spiritual covenant and an emotional commitment. You need to see that. Now, if you're here today and you're sitting here today and going, well, what's a spiritual covenant? Well, we talked about that last week, didn't we? A spiritual covenant is another word for marriage. That's what a sexual activity, that's what sexual relationships need. They need marriage and then they need an emotional commitment. Remember the difference between a covenant and a contract? Come on, the reason we sign a contract, it's based on mutual distrust. I don't really trust you. I don't know if you're gonna come through. So you sign this, I sign that, and let's see if we can figure a way through this. But a, a covenant is different than a contract. It's a mutual, it's based on mutual trust. It's about giving and receiving from that one that God has allowed you to join together. This idea of how do we live in this world, whether we call ourselves single, whether we call ourselves married, how can we live forward? And that's what I wanna do for the rest of our time. Let's go to one more passage. Turn with me to the Old Testament. Psalm 119, 119. It's the longest Psalm in the whole Bible. 22 sections the Psalm is broken up into. Do y'all know what that Psalm is written by? This poetry? This journal, this chapter is written by a guy named David. Maybe y'all have heard of David, King David. King David, right? Second king of Israel. One sentence that describes David in the Bible is that David was a man after God's own heart. Y'all remember that? That's the description of David. We get to see a lot of victories, a lot of success about David's life, but we also get to look at what? One incredible failure. One decision that David made that he had to keep making decision after decision to cover up his mistake. David had an affair, right? And when we think about David understanding what's it like to live alive with God and what's it like to live far, far away from God, David, like all of us, knows what that's like. Yet David gives us these words to live by in Psalm 119, and I'm gonna begin in verse nine. He tells us what life could be if we trust God the most. And I want you to hear about how to fight for love, how to fight for purity, and I want you to hear about inward purity and outward purity as we just read these verses together. Verse nine, he asked the question, how can a young person stay on the path of purity. How can a young person, a child, a teenager, a young adult, a college student, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. He said, I seek you with all my, what's the word there? Heart, isn't that interesting? Happens on the inside. I seek you with all my heart, do not let me stray from your commands, God. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not on the screen, but I just wanna keep reading. It says, praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in the following statutes as one who rejoices with great riches. I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways, God. I delight, I love that. I delight in your decrees, God, and I will not neglect your word. David said, how can a young man stay pure? By living the word. 
It happens on the heart though. Isn't that interesting? It happens in his heart. He makes a decision and he says, I'm surrendering all that I have to your ways over my own ways, God, because your ways are always best. I, I just went on vacation and I went out to California for two weeks. I shared that last week. And I love reading, but I love reading on vacation. There's a couple of books I picked up. One was Golden, uh, about Steph Curry's story. You probably appreciate that one, right? I read about Steph Curry and the Golden State and all those things about basketball. I loved hearing his testimony and how he's trying to walk with Christ now on this stage of NBA. But a second book I picked up on vacation, and this is one I wanna to reference today. The title's called Overcome. This is by Clayton King. Many of y'all know Clayton, Crossroads Ministry. His newest book is called Overcome, and the byline says, replacing the lies that hold us down from the truths that set us free. In this book, chapter five, he has a chapter called Sex and Intimacy. I'm thinking, oh God, you're on time. No one, summer love, all this preparation. And I read his chapter on that. And then chapter six, he talks about overcoming temptation. And he actually leans in on Psalm 119 and he gives us some things that we can put into practice if we're really serious about fighting for love and fighting for purity. And this is how I wanna end our message before we break the bread and pass the cup. Can you write these three things down? I think they can help you. The first thing you and I gotta get to a place of is we've got to hate it. <laughs> we got to hate it. Come on, both camps say that with me. Number one, we have to hate it. You write that down. You see, this is about making a decision. Your position of absolute hatred toward sin. Do you hate sin? Do you hate it because it offends God? Do you hate it because the effect that it has upon your life and others? Do you hate sin? We got to get to a place where we hate it. We hate it because it robs us from the very things that God wants to give to us. We gotta despise the negative ways it hurts us and others and even our own bodies. We gotta hate sexual immorality because it leads to regret. It leads to depression. It leads to horrible, horrible emotional pain. But we gotta get to a point where we stop whining and complaining and we gotta start doing something about it. And that's where David shows us that we've gotta we gotta begin to know what is right and then we gotta begin to do what is right. We gotta hate what is wrong. Do you hate it yet? Do you hate it yet? Or, or is your way better than God's way right now? All I would say to that is it's, a, it's gonna lead you somewhere and you might not like the destination if you try to do this thing apart from God. But sometimes you gotta get to the point of hating it first. Number two, I love this one. You gotta starve it. You gotta starve it. Come on, what do you mean by that, pastor? Well, if you want to defeat, defeat temptation in your life, you gotta quit feeding it. What do you mean by that, pastor? Well, some of you struggle with food and eating. Guess what you need to do? You gotta stay away from Krispy Kreme, especially when that hot light's on. I'm telling you, because you can go in there and drop a dozen just like that. Not that I know, I'm just giving an example, right? You gotta starve it though, right? You gotta starve it. If you don't wanna go there, listen, you know how many men and women struggle with pornography? Pornography has never been as accessible as it is today's time. Listen, it's, it's, it can be on your computer, it can be on your tablet, it can be on your phone, and it's with you 24-7. You have access to it. You wanna starve it? You gotta get some filters. You better get some accountability because your human nature will wanna go down the path of lust. You gotta starve it, you gotta starve it. Come on, some of you, you're, you're, you're so tempted to try to compare your boring family to everybody else's incredible family. You know what you need to starve there? You need to get off social media for a season. Starve it, because that comparison is killing you and everybody else around you. Does this make sense yet? We've gotta limit what, what, our, what our temptation is. And the longer you starve it, the weaker the temptation will come. Because some of you, you have crossed over adultery. But I'm gonna tell you this, you crossed over a lot more sins before you got to adultery. It didn't naturally happen that way. You made some decisions, some willful decisions to go down that path. And I'm just asking you to change the plan 
with no plan to now having a plan and you gotta hate it, you gotta starve it and the last one is you gotta outsmart it. You gotta outsmart it. Get ahead of your enemy by predicting the ways that you're tempted. You know better than anyone who you are. You know you and you know your temptation. You know your vulnerabilities. You know your weaknesses. I'd ask it this way, what time of day are you most tempted? What, are you, what boundaries do you draw around that time of day for you? What places do you go where you're most tempted? What are you gonna do to put a guardrail there so you don't keep going there? Where are you going? What are the pathways that the enemy uses against you? What is it that he uses against you? Is it TV? I said a minute ago, what TV's normalizing for us, we begin to go, oh, that's normal. A path of lust is normal. That's how everybody's living, right? Wrong. There's a different way to live. But maybe TV is your weakness. Maybe movies are your weakness. Maybe your playlist is your weakness. I guarantee you this, if I opened up your phone and looked at your playlist, would you be proud from your pastor to see that playlist? Or is there some music that you're going, oh, oh, that's more about lust than love, right? That's about objectifying a woman versus honoring and cherishing a woman, right? You see, all of a sudden you begin to see and listen and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. But how are you outsmarting it? What are you gonna do? Maybe it's for you, it's books. It's things that you read. Come on, maybe for you, it's, the, it's magazines. Maybe for you, it's those Victoria's Secret catalogs that show up every three months, right? And you let linger around on the coffee table or stacked up somewhere. Listen, I'm telling you, men are visually stimulated. We don't need Victoria's Secret because there ain't no secret, right? We don't need that. We don't, we don't, we got to what? We got to outsmart it. We got to outsmart it. And we've got to begin to see. And you know what? This is where it happens. This is where we begin to flirt. We think we're innocent. We think we're okay. And all of a sudden that coworker and we're married, that coworker, she's cute, that coworker. And all of a sudden we're not talking his business. All of a sudden we're playing with each other. We're flirting with each other. And all of a sudden that red flag's going up going, this ain't good. And you know it, but you got to outsmart it. You got outsmarted. I know it's easy to catch back up with people you haven't seen in decades. It's easy to to see an old flame and go, wow, she looks better, he looks better. And then you wanna watch what they're doing from afar. And then you're maybe liking maybe something because their pictures look nice. And all of a sudden you go public on them and then you go private, you direct message them. Because like, hey, what's going on? I hadn't talked to you in a while, what's going on? And all of a sudden, guess what? You've opened an opportunity to fall. We gotta outsmart the way the enemy comes after us. And the only way you do it is with boundaries. Come on, what are your boundaries? What are your boundaries with people? What are your boundaries with places? What are your online boundaries? If you're here to tell me, I don't have a boundary, and pastor, I don't need a boundary, then I'm going, you're probably already in the deep end because we all need boundaries. All right, we're gonna do communion. Band, come back up. Worship team, come back up. And before we sing... Jesus paid it all. Before we take this bread and cup, I wanna give you the most important part of this whole message. Matter of fact, if you were to leave right now, I would be sad because I've not really given you what you need yet from the scriptures. You see, when I look here at the Bible and begin to see what God wants for you and for me, I want you to hear one thing, the clearest way I can say it, before you walk out of this room today, this is absolutely paramount that you hear it in this way. Because Christians, you need to understand one simple truth of how you're gonna fight your ongoing battle against temptation. The way you can hate it, the way you can starve it, the way you can outsmart it, there's only one reason you can do that. It's because the battle has already been won. It's the fact that you and I aren't fighting for victory. You and I are fighting from victory. Are you with me yet? That you and I can do this because Jesus Christ rose again back to life again after the sins of the world were placed on him. He rose back to life again. And you know what that means? That means he's got ultimate authority over this world and the world to come. It means he's got ultimate power over this world and the world to come. And we get that power. Our greatest fight and temptation is us putting our faith in the one, the only one that has overcome sin, sickness, and death. And that's Jesus Christ.
Are you with me today? Are you with me today? Listen, 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 listen. The power to overcome temptation is the truth that Jesus Christ lives in me as a child of God. The, tr the truth is the Holy Spirit lives in me. I've got a new position before God. I've got a new posture before God. I, I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. And God calls me redeemed. And because he's in me, because he's living in me, he's gonna give me what I need to fight it, to fight for love, to fight for purity. Are you with me? But we gotta fight. And we're not fighting for, we're fighting from. Unless Jesus Christ doesn't live in you. Listen, if you're here today, you can walk out of here and try to find the willpower you need to fight against sexual temptation. And I'm here to tell you, you'll fall and you'll fall and you'll fall because you and I aren't strong enough. We're just not. But can I tell you today, He is. He is strong enough. Not only will Jesus hear your prayer today and come into your life today, you know what He'll also do? He'll forgive. He'll forgive your mistakes. He'll forgive your sin struggles. He'll forgive your regrets. He'll forgive your insecurities and He'll make you strong and He'll make you new. You see, our greatest fight against sin is when we fully surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what a relationship is all about. That's what David's talking about. When he says, how can a young man stay pure? Oh yeah, by living according to your word. Oh God, I've hidden your word in my heart. Because God, inward purity starts way before outward purity. And God, I, I don't want to live apart from you. I want to be most alive in you. And Jesus, when I'm most alive in you, I'm most alive. I'm most alive. Is that your story today? Or is today you're living with a gap of what you know to be right and what you're actually doing? I'm going to say one more thing, and I'm going to call our men forward. Here's what I'll say to you today. I love how clear this is getting in this third service today. Somebody needed to hear this today. I don't know who you are. Somebody needed to hear it this today. Can I tell you today, whether you're in this room at our campus at Courthouse or online, can I tell you this today? That God is madly and deeply in love with you. He loves you. You might be here today and say, I heard the word of God. I don't believe it to be true. You know what God says to you? He says, I love you. I love you and my ways are for you. Maybe you're here today and say, I know what I ought to do, I'm just not doing it. You know what God would say to you today? He would say this to you today, I love you. I'm for you, not against you. My ways are better than your ways. Would you come to me? Would you trust me? So whether you believe right, whether you're living right, God is for you today, and He wants you to know how you can be for Him. Christian in the room, are you living in a way where you're fighting for love and fighting for purity? Come on, single adult in the room, is your single life a reflection of God's goodness and grace? Or is your single life about what you want when you want it? Is it about lust or love? Married adult, is your marriage about the love of Jesus Christ? Or is it about your wants, your will, your lust, your ways? Hey, teenager, I love that we have kids here today. You're not too young to fight for purity. Matter of fact, you better fight earlier and earlier and earlier. How do you keep your way pure? By living according to the Word of God. Do you know what the Word of God is? And do you have enough courage to live that way? Today, Christ wants to live in you to get you there. Hey, parents, this is a hard day to parent in, is it not? How are we gonna lead our kids to purity? God wants something for you. Do you want it to? Do you want it to? Come on, man, come forward. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me right now? Today we're about to take this bread, this cup, and I want you to know this. If you're here today and you're a guest and you're wondering who can take communion, here's who. One question, one question only. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? If you can say yes to that, this table is open for you. Today as you take this bread and cup, you're asking God, God, are we good? Is there anything in my life that you need to convict? Is there anything in my life that I need to confess? Is there anything in my life that I need to repent of? Christian, that's why we do this in remembrance of Him, so we can see where we stand before Him. In a moment, they're gonna pass these trays. You're gonna take the bread and the cup and hold on to it. Once everybody's been served, you're gonna receive it. 
But I just feel in my spirit, especially this last hour, how clear this hour has been. There's somebody sitting among us today that's not a Christian, but right here, right now, you're about to pray, you're about to believe, and you're about to begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, His Son. And here in a few minutes, you're gonna take this bread and cup for the very first time as a son and daughter in Christ. And this is gonna give such new meaning for your life forward. You're now gonna realize that you can fight for love and fight for purity because Jesus Christ lives in you. Come on, who am I speaking to right here and now? Who's ready to trust and believe? Right now, would you talk to God? Bow your heads, say this to God right now as a prayer. Say, God, my heart is broken. You have spoken straight to me. I realize today I need you. I need Jesus. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Forgive me, God. I've made a lot of mistakes. But today I give you my heart. I'm yours, God, and I'm all in. Thank you for saving me. Father God, I thank you for confession and prayer. I thank you for belief and repentance. And I thank you for my brand new brother, my brand new sister in the faith. Right now, God, as we take this bread and cup, may we do this in remembrance of you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying what I couldn't pay so that I can live the life that you want me to live. Lead me today in your grace and truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.
know the greatest testimony to God's perfect love is a changed life. And sometimes that's when we see somebody that makes lots of mistakes and finds themselves in a really broken place. And in their minds, in their eyes, in their outlook, they said, there's no way, there's no hope, there's no way I could be forgiven. And then they meet Jesus. And Jesus not only forgives them of their past and their mistakes, but then he washes them, as the Bible says, he washes them whiter than snow. There's nothing more powerful than to see someone who hasn't just simply recovered from the past, but someone who resurrected from the past, someone who is brand new in Christ. Listen, I don't know what the enemy's messing with your mind on right now, your heart on right now. I don't know what guilt he's speaking to you today. I don't know what condemnation he's doling out your way. I'm here to tell you that God is greater. God is greater than guilt and shame and condemnation. Jesus, what he did on the cross, he gives us a power that we all desperately need to live, to live. Are you with me? The reason we stand here today to take this bread and cup, it's not because we were good enough or strong enough, it's because Jesus was. Jesus has made a way. On that night, he held up the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Then he said, this is my cup, my blood poured out for you. Drink in remembrance of me. Has summer love helped you this summer? I tell you, Pastor Andrew started this off two weeks ago. I, I'm, I'm glad he left me this message to preach to y'all today. Has God encouraged you today? If you don't cheer, we're gonna judge you. Listen, God wants freedom for you. I want my prayer team to be here at the front today. If today you gave your life to Christ, if you prayed and believed for the very first time, we wanna celebrate. I got a gift I wanna give to you today. If today there's some hurt, there's some brokenness, there's some pain, and we can pray with you and for you, we, we count it an honor to be able to pray with you today. That's why my prayer team is here. Next Sunday, we're gonna begin a brand new series on parenting. It's called Look Up, Parenting the Digital Native. Now listen, you might not be a parent, but we're all living in a digital world. God, He wants to lead us, and He's not surprised by the year that we're in. Don't miss the next four Sundays. Don't come alone, because God wants to lead us home. In Jesus' name, I love you, church. God bless you. Go be the church. We'll see you next Sunday.